Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. We are so glad you joined us today. This podcast features messages, interviews, and discussions from Radiant Church located in Seneca, South Carolina. For more information about Radiant, visit RadiantChurchSC.com. Here's today's episode. Hey, welcome to Radiant Church. My name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor. We're so glad you could join us today from wherever you're watching or listening from. If this is your first time joining us, go to RadiantChurchSC.com and click I'm new. If you fill out that short form online for us as a way of saying thank you, we're going to donate $5 to one of the nonprofits that's listed. Well, a happy new year. I hope you and your family had a fantastic holiday season. Uh, my family has left the holidays behind, but we're now in birthday season. We, <laughs> we have birthdays like from now all the way through. April. So while you guys are all winding down, we're actually going strong still, man. Uh, but here at Radiant over the next few months, we're going to take you on a little journey through the ministry of Jesus that's going to lead you right up into Easter. Now we're going to break it into different phases and sections. And this first phase that we're in is going to cover the next four weeks. And we're going to take a look at some of the miracles uh, that Jesus worked. Now the word miracle, it gets thrown around an awful lot, doesn't it? Like we talk about miracles in sports, whether it was the miracle on ice, which was the U.S. defeating the Soviet Union uh, back in the, in the Olympics, or the Music City miracle. I remember watching that live. It was so crazy. The Tennessee Titans beat the Buffalo Bills in one of the craziest playoff games ever. Uh, we talk about miracles, which are medical marvels. Someone might be cancer-free almost overnight, or a person survives a procedure that had, you know, very limited, if any, chance of survival. We even use the term miracle to describe something fortunate happening to us, almost as if it were by, you know, like luck or chance. One of the phrases that gets associated with the miraculous, or at least a belief in the lack thereof, we would say, right, is this one right here. And I'm sure you've heard it before. When pigs fly, you know, as in like, yeah, I'll believe it when pigs fly. We use that phrase a lot when situations look pretty much hopeless, when the desired outcome uh, would be nearly impossible for us to achieve. We're giving it like a 1% chance, you know, like that'll happen when pigs fly. <laughs> but miracles specialize in that, don't they? In taking the impossible and making it possible. A miracle is an extraordinary event recognized as divine intervention. So in other words, God intervenes in our lives in a manner that's so amazing, so improbable. The only explanation for what's happened to us is that he was at work in a supernatural way. A miracle happened. And I'll share a few miracles in this series from my own personal experience, but count me in as one of those people who can only offer an explanation for what occurred at times as just God did it. So maybe you're watching or listening today and you're saying, man, you know, like I could use a miracle or two right about now, Pastor. You need some divine intervention in your life. You've done all that you can do. All the options are exhausted. Your back is against the wall. You need God and man, like you just need God in a big way. We've all been there. And so each week in this teaching series, we're going to look at some of the different miracles that Jesus performed of how God intervened in people's lives in a very extraordinary way. Our lives are kind of like, you know, like a blank canvas. We've got all kinds of issues we're dealing with, you know, problems that we're facing. And those problems can cause us to miss the beauty of God's work in our lives. And on the surface, you know, there's nothing inherently beautiful about a blank canvas, right? We wouldn't hang a blank canvas in our homes, but we, we, we would we want to hang a master piece, a beautiful painting that we think the canvas should have. But every great masterpiece 
starts on a blank canvas. And it starts with the artist, meaning the challenge to turn this canvas into a beautiful, wonderful painting. And that's how miracles work in our lives. God takes the issues and the problems and the impossibilities that we face, and he rises to the challenge. And if we will allow him, he'll paint a beautiful masterpiece, a miracle, where there were once fears and doubts and worries, where there was just once nothing. So here's the really crazy thing about how God works sometimes. The miracle that we're looking for doesn't come in the manner that we always think that it should. <laughs> in fact, Luke 5:17 gives a, a story that illustrates this perfectly. Check this out. One day, while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. And it seems that these men showed up from every village in all of Galilee and Judea, as well as Jerusalem. Got to tell you that I love how Luke's commentary works, right? He's writing a letter to a friend named Theophilus, teaching him who, who Christ is and how the church began, which is the book of Acts. And he inserts a little editorial right here about the Pharisees saying what we're all thinking every time we read about these guys. I love that. And so the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. Look at verse number 18. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat, and they tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up to the roof, and they took off some tiles, and then they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. And seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, Young man, your sins are forgiven. Powerful words right there. Verse 21, but the Pharisees and teachers of religious law said to themselves, who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus knew what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier for me to say your sins are forgiven or man, stand up and walk? But so I'm going to prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. And then he turned to the paralyzed man and he said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. Ah, uh, look at verse 25. Immediately, as everyone watched, the man jumped up, he picked up his mat and he went home praising God. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe and they praised God exclaiming, we have seen amazing things today. You ever been to an event, or maybe it was a concert or a game or something like that, where it was just so crowded, you couldn't fit any more people in? I mean, it's not just standing room only. It's like guys on fences, people on each other's shoulders, you know, it's just packed. When the Braves were playing in the World Series a couple years back, you, you couldn't fit any more people into Truist Park. And so fans were crowding around what's called a battery, pressed against each other just to get the chance to peer through the fence and see the game, to hear in person what was actually happening on the field. It was a wild experience and a wild scene. Luke gives us a sense of just how crazy it was with Jesus' presence in the story. Now, Mark's account goes in even more detail. Mark's going to say in verse number, uh, chapter 2, verse number 2, the house was basically standing room only. People were everywhere. We're not even, you know, through the first year of Jesus' public ministry yet, but he's already healed people. He's already cast out demons. He's been teaching about, you know, God and his kingdom in a really profound way, as if he really knows what he's talking about. You know, there are those guys who, who have, you know, they've read the books and they've done the research 
and, and, and they teach and you learn things and that's cool. But then there are the guys who've lived what the other guys are reading about. You know, when they teach, it's a whole different ball game. They speak as if they were there because, well, well, they were there, right? And Jesus teaches about God like that because as John chapter one says, he was there. He is God. He's the word of God in human form. In the beginning was the word, the word was God. And so Christ was simply captivating. No wonder huge crowds followed him everywhere he went. And that's a problem for anybody wanting to get close to Christ, right? Like this group of friends in the story. Can you imagine what it must have been like for these guys? First of all, your buddy's paralyzed. And I'm, I'm going to throw out a theoretical, you know, I'm going to go on a theoretical limb here. And you're going to see why in a moment. But I'm betting he wasn't always paralyzed. I think something probably happened which caused this paralysis. Now, he's been bedridden for who knows how long, and maybe he's seen doctors. Maybe he's offered up all kinds of prayers, done all kinds of exercises. He's tried who knows how many types of remedies and medicines to try and reverse all of this. And all to what? To no avail. And then his friends hear Jesus is in town. And maybe they think, like, you know what? Like, this Jesus guy, he healed this person and he healed that person. And he turned water into wine. And I heard he even raised a dead person back to life. I mean, guys, what do we have to lose here? Let's just take our buddy to him. Why not give it a shot? Makes sense, doesn't it? Why not give Christ a chance? So they carry him to the place where they hear Jesus is. And they see a lot of people, like a lot of people. And we get the idea to take the kids over Christmas break to the, the, the train at the Christmas lights here in Seneca. And it was a good idea in theory. But then we walked up to the line and I saw the crowd of people and how long the line was. And my whole demeanor changed. It was kind of that like, ah, oh, so many people. It's kind of that feeling. Obviously, you can't get into the house. I'm sure they felt that way. <laughs> OK, so what do you do if you're these guys? Well, when you're faced with what seems like an insurmountable odds or you know, great challenges, I think two types of people emerge. There are those who throw in the towel and they say, man, like that's not worth it. We tried, let's go home. Then there are those who smile and they're like, challenge accepted, let's do it. You know, thankfully for this paralyzed guy, his friends were the latter. They accepted the, the, the challenge, right? So imagine you're in the house and you're listening to Jesus teach and all of a sudden you hear an odd noise <laughs> coming from over your head. And you look up and you see a tile move and the sun's pouring in and then another and another. And before you know it, some guys are lowering a person right through the roof down in front of you. Now, just out of sheer curiosity, how would you react? Would you be angry? Would you stop and sort of chew these guys out for interrupting the greatest teacher in your lifetime simply so they could get a, a front row seat? How did Jesus react? Was there a shock? Maybe he cracked a smile. You know, the more I read this story, the more I'm convinced he absolutely loved what was happening. I bet Jesus admired the ingenuity and determination of these guys. We, we know he admired their faith because Luke tells us that in verse number 20. But these friends didn't just think that Christ could do something about their body's condition. They believed he had the power to completely and totally heal him. They believed he could divinely intervene in this man's life and do something extraordinary. They believed a miracle was on the way. They just had to get their friend to Jesus. I don't know if we give these guys enough credit when the story is told, but think about it for a moment. If those friends don't carry that man to Jesus, if they don't push through the crowd, if they don't climb the house, if they don't dig into the mud thatched ceiling and, and lower him down, a miracle 
doesn't occur. And you know what that tells me? <laughs> I mean, I think this is so encouraging. Listen, for all of you who've been praying and praying and praying, right? For your family or friends who need Christ, don't give up. For all of you who've been in the trenches fighting to bring those loved ones to Christ, don't quit. Keep fighting. Keep pushing through against all odds. Keep overcoming all the obstacles and realize that sometimes you got to carry your friends to Jesus. You've got to be that person who shoulders the load, who finds a way, who carries their buddy in desperate need of a miracle to the actual miracle worker. Now, I'll bet those friends had heard of Jesus healing people before. Uh, they were probably expected him to say something kind of like, hey, you know, your faith has healed you. Or maybe they expected him to sort of place his hands on the man's body and see this guy jump up to his feet. What they almost certainly did not expect him to say was, your sins are forgiven. That's not, it's not, it's not really how you heal people, right? They didn't teach you that in Healing 101, did they? Like, that's just not how it works. If you're familiar with the story of, of Naaman in the Old Testament, this whole idea of God healing differently might sound familiar to you. Naaman suffers from a skin disease called leprosy. It actually eats away at your extremities, like your nose and your ears. And he travels to Israel to see a prophet named Elisha. He's expecting Elisha to heal him. But Elisha doesn't even come out to meet with Naaman. Instead, he sends a message stating, Naaman should dunk himself in the Jordan River seven times. Now listen to how Naaman reacts. This is from from uh, 2 Kings chapter 5. He says this, I thought that he would certainly come out to meet me, he said, he being, you know, Elisha. I expected him to, you know, wave his hand over the leprosy and call in the name of the Lord as God and heal me. Not the way he expected to be healed. God does things differently sometimes. And so these friends may have expected Jesus to heal their buddy the way that he had healed countless other people. But Jesus takes advantage of an opportunity. He knows full well who was present at the moment. And he makes a subtle and yet, you know, a not so subtle claim as to who he truly is by telling this paralyzed man that his sins are forgiven. And so the crowd may or it may not have caught on to Jesus' claim, but he knew the Pharisees would catch it. Because what do they say? Verse 21, they say, who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. They're all up in arms about this kind of thing that just happened, right? That's exactly the point. Like we just finished celebrating Christmas and the coming of Jesus as a baby. And, you know, when he, when he came to earth, he didn't give up his divinity. I think it's really one of the most difficult concepts to fully embrace. It really does take an act of faith to accept that Jesus was both fully God and fully man at the same time. He knows the Pharisees' hearts. He knows their motivations. And so he poses a question of his own. Look at verse 22 again. Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? I want to prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. And then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and he said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. Love that scene. Two important takeaways occur in just that passage alone. The first, we've already touched on. 
Jesus is God. He's God. He's making that claim. He's showing it right here. He demonstrated he has the power and the authority to forgive someone of their sins. Nobody has that power. You can forgive somebody for the wrong they've done, but you can't absolve them of their guilt. Only God can do that. Christ showed he has the authority and the power, not to mention he knew exactly what these Pharisees were thinking in their own hearts. I can't read minds, right? Maybe you can. Miss Cleo claims that she can't if you call the 1-800 number, you know. But, but none of us can read each other's hearts. Only God can. And that's something that only God can do when Christ does it right here in the story. But what gives actual credibility to Jesus' claim that he's God is the miracle itself. And that's takeaway number two. Forgiveness brings healing. It's one thing to claim you can forgive sins the way that only God can, but it's another to forgive someone of their sins and have that forgiveness result in a miraculous healing. The miracle backs up the audacious claim. And before we walk away from the story today, we've got to spend some time on this wild idea that forgiveness can actually heal. Jesus can heal this man any other way if he so chooses, right? In fact, this is the first and the only instance in Scripture that we know of where he heals someone by forgiving their sins, which gets you thinking, just how bad was this guy, right, to get paralyzed for his sin? Let's walk through this just for a moment because I want to clear some things up. First off, we don't actually know much about the paralyzed man. We don't know his lifestyle, what he did. None of the gospel writers give us enough detail about this man's life. But here's what we do know about the culture and the prevailing thought in Jesus' day in the first century. If something bad happened to you, you deserved it. So if you kick a puppy, boy, you deserve to get a flat tire. If you lost your job, it's because you really did something bad to somebody else and you had it coming to you. And that's natural. Like I would argue, we naturally want to believe good things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people. It's just human nature to accept that theory. However, in Jesus' day, the thought went further. It was spiritual. So, you know, your good or poor fortunes in life were the result of your spiritual condition. So if you're a good person, you prospered, had God's favor, all that kind of stuff. If you were a bad person, a sinner, you suffered and were under judgment. So that's, of course, not true. Like bad things happen to good people all the time. And there's whole psalms written about the prosperity of the wicked and how unfair it is that those who are good and godly suffer. You only have to look at another Old Testament story about a man named Job to see how this works out. God allows Job, a very wealthy, successful, godly person, to suffer immensely. And yet it's very possible that God chose to judge this man for his sins here and now by striking him with paralysis. That is true. You know, all of us are going to be faced with judgment in eternity. And while God's judgment in a general sense is not now, he can certainly make cases for individuals. I mean, he is he's God after all. But it's also possible this, that the man is paralyzed simply because sin has corrupted this world. We live in a fallen world tainted by sin. We're not perfect. We're all sinners. And so sickness is a part of living in this imperfect, sin-stained world. So there's a, a reason why Isaiah says the Messiah would be wounded for our transgressions, our sins, and by his stripes were healed. So Christ shed his blood for both our forgiveness and our healing. It's not a coincidence the two are linked. Whether it's because of this man's personal sin or it's the result of living in a sin-tainted, fallen world, 
sin in some form or fashion as a reason for his condition. Now don't go around telling everyone who's sick or has a medical issue it's because of their sin. Don't, please don't do that. Again, it could be the result of just simply living in a fallen world marred by sin, okay? And given that sin has a hand in this man's paralysis, Jesus being fully God is well within his rights to forgive this man and heal him by forgiving him of his sins. That, that means forgiveness can bring healing to our lives. And so in this case of this man, it, it brought physical healing. Luke says in verse 25, immediately as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, he went home praising God. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe, and they praised God, exclaiming, we have seen amazing things today. Forgiveness can heal you physically but it can also heal of every other ailment, whether it's emotional, mental, or spiritual. The power of God's forgiveness does more than just absolve sins. It brings healing and restoration to wounded and broken souls. No therapy session can do that. Talking it out with a loved one over coffee cannot bring that kind of complete healing. No medication can get your life so put together and back on the right track. None of those things are bad, and I think at some point most of us need those things, but they're not substitutes. Listen to me. They're not substitutes for the awesome power of God's forgiveness and healing. So what do you do with a story like this then? Like, you know, now what? How does this really affect you? Well, first, if you need a miracle, if you need the divine intervention, you should look no further than Jesus. He can heal you today. Do you need God's touch in your life? Is there a physical condition where doctors have said your options are few and limited? Maybe it's just a bad cold. You just simply say, God, I need you to heal me from this. You know, it could be fear that you have, anxiety, sleepless nights, whatever it is, God can heal you. In a moment, I want to pray specifically just for you. But you can do something else that has eternal ramifications. He can forgive. He can take your deepest, darkest wrongs, the things that nobody knows about, not even your spouse, and God can forgive you. He can cleanse you. He can give you that new start. In fact, for a few of you, it could be your miracle is wrapped up in God's forgiveness today. Like the paralyzed man in the story, God's forgiveness could bring complete and total healing to your life. So what if you chose to accept God's forgiveness today? You know, nobody's too far gone for God. Nobody's too bad for God, too good for God. No one has done anything that can result in God's deep forgiveness not occurring. God's going to give that to you, okay? What if you chose then to pour your heart out to the Lord? and let Him forgive you of your sin, so the miracle you need can take place. Jesus has the power and the authority to both forgive and heal. Don't let that opportunity pass you by, man. Seize it. Make today the day you say yes to Christ, the day you choose forgiveness and healing and hope. God, I pray for you. Father, I love you, and I thank you for those who are watching and listening here today. I pray, first of all, for those who need healing in their lives. As a pastor, I need healing. It's a physical issue, mental, emotional, spiritual, whatever it might be, they need healing. And so, Lord, I pray that they would call out to your name here today. Lord, they would say, God, I need healing from, and that's what I would do if I were you right now. Just call out to the Lord and say, I need healing, God, from my migraines, from my relationships, from, Lord, you know, my, I need healing from this, this anxiety that I've got. Call those out before the Lord here today. And God, as you hear them calling out what they need healing from, as they're calling on your name, Lord, I pray, 
today that your Holy Spirit would impact each and every life, that you would touch people where they're at here today, would you bring hope and healing and restoration to those who need it. We are healed by the awesome power of God because of the blood you shed. There is healing for us here today, and there's also forgiveness. And so I pray for those who need forgiveness in their lives today. They're saying, God, I need you to forgive me. Lord, I need you to forgive me. Cleanse me from the wrong that I've done. Forgive me for the things I've done, God, that have harmed you and not been up to your standards. God, forgive me for my sin. And I pray, Lord, that as you forgive, you would unlock healing in their lives. Whatever that healing needs to, to be for, whether it's relationships, emotional issues, physical issues, unlock healing in their hearts in their lives here today, God, as you forgive. Thank you that we serve a God of healing and restoration and hope. And for those who say, Lord, I need forgiveness because I need to give my life over to you today. God, I pray right now that we confess that sin before we used to say it like this. Say, Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. God, forgive me for the wrong that I've done. Cleanse me from my, my wickedness, from my sin, from the wrong things. Be my savior today. Forgive me, make me whole, make me new and save my life. And from this day forward, I'm not going to do my own thing. I'm not going to call my own shots. I am going to serve you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to make you Lord of my life because, because Jesus, you're the one. You're the one who can forgive, who can heal, who can bring me to the place I need to be. You're my creator. You're my Lord. You're my sustainer. I'm going to follow you from this day forward. We thank you for those today, God who said yes to you, given their hearts over to you. And we thank you for the healing that we have that's available by your power. And we ask all this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or would like to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at media at radiantchurchsc.com or visit one of our social accounts on Facebook, Instagram, if you like what you heard today, subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes and give us a five-star rating on the podcast platform that you listen to. We hope you have an amazing rest of your day.